Hello everyone and welcome to episode 41 of The Stagey Place with me, Elliot, and where today I am bringing you my interview with Rob Watt, a director whose current work includes Human Nurture, a theatre centre and Sheffield Theatre's co-production, which is ending its UK tour this week where it's being staged at the Soho Theatre in London from the 22nd until the 26th of March. I had the absolute pleasure in talking to Rob a couple of weeks back about the show, but also what it's been like coming back into a rehearsal space and making that space a real comforting and bold place to actually create work in, especially given the themes of the production, to which we'll chat about more in this episode. Also in today's episode, we'll get to dive a little deeper into Rob's entry into this industry, as well as advice for younger creatives, plus, as always, we'll find out just where exactly his very own stagey place is. So without any further ado, here is episode 41 of The Stagey Place with our guest today, director Rob Watt. Hello Rob, welcome to The Stagey Place. Thank you so much for coming on today. How are you doing? I'm really well, Elliot. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me on. No, thank you so much. We're going to be chatting today about Human Nurture, which you are the director for. It's currently on its UK tour and I'm currently based in London and it's coming to the Soho Theatre later this year or later this month. Now we're into March, which is very exciting. We're going to be talking a little bit more about Human Nurture later on in today's episode as well. But what I really want to start off by asking you Rob is how did you get into this industry was this something that you really enjoyed in terms of theatre from a younger age and how did you progress into becoming the director that you are today oh the good the, the good question um the simple answer is that I failed my a-levels <laughs> which, <laughs> okay. uh, which sounds strange but I, I when I was at school I think a lot of people that I speak to in this industry the drama sort of department in schools was the place that I felt like I could hang out in the best place it sort of was a place where I was able to feel like I wasn't a maths person, essentially. But drama felt like there was something I felt like I belonged in a particular way. And when I was at school, the only route I thought I could get into the industry was being becoming an actor. So I thought that's what I was going to go and do. I went auditions at some drama schools. But when I got there, the belonging thing didn't feel right. So I yeah. thought, OK. Also, it's the, I was the first person. I have, have been the first person to go into the arts in my family. So there was sort of no... I didn't like there wasn't this sort of golden book that was given to me going this is the way you get in yeah so I, I felt very much of an outsider and then I thought well I, the drama schools don't feel right I'll go to university because it felt like that was the thing that I was told that I had to go and do but then I screwed my A-levels so I was going to go off to I think I was going to go off to Lancaster to do drama so I went into clearing and got into a course called dramaturgy now at that stage I didn't know what dramaturgy meant but it had the word drama in it so I thought well that's a good start <laughs> and it turned out to be the first ever degree in the country at a place called Bretton Hall that no longer exists anymore but was an amazing place for like theatre and arts there's a lot of people that like League of Gentlemen started at, yeah. at Bretton Hall and so I went to university and and sort of dramaturgy I sort of became really addicted to this thing called dramaturgy really understanding like the idea of why people might work what the importance of work is like the psychology behind why we make work and also like sort of the literary editorial stuff that we know more of now the big thing when I was at university I realized that I was going to have to work with young people at some point because I thought well that's that again <laughs> sort of what I've been told that I'm yeah. going to be a teacher or I was like oh I don't, I don't really want to do that I don't really want to be working with young people so I thought well the thing that I've got to do is face my fear in this so where's the worst place that I go to to face my fear brilliantly and I thought well I'll go to America to a summer camp 
and teach yeah. drama there because if I could do it there I'm sure I could do it everywhere yeah and without sounding too American about it excuse American listeners uh, but sort of grand <laughs> grinding about it it really changed my life I was on a camp for young people with a variety of disabilities and needs and I was their drama and film counsellor. And it was at that moment I realised the power that storytelling had that was transformational for people. That It literally yeah. gave people a voice that didn't have a voice, enabled people to tell stories that they weren't able to before. It gave literally gave people an audience. The, the idea of standing on stage, the act of standing on stage gives people power that maybe didn't have that power in the first place. And I just went, oh God, this is what I've got to do. And then ever since then, I've, a lot of my work is, is with communities or with young people in schools. Mm -hmm. And while there is a little bit of a lure to sort of make stuff on the West End, essentially really what that is, is about giving, like, giving me the resources to make brilliant work with communities and then I'm happy. Yeah. That was a very long answer no, to a very simple no, question. I no, that that's perfect. <laughs> no, no, that's perfect. And I think we, we also have a lot of similarities. I was listening to what you were saying and I was like, well, I also was the first person in my family who, who entered the arts. I was the first person person in my family who went to university I do have an older brother and I obviously have loads of cousins but none of them ever went to university I was I went through clearance to go to university and I also went in 2016 so whilst I was still at university to South Africa and I taught drama exercises and activities whilst also teaching English and maths and stuff and we did like an arts festival with the primary school in South Africa we were in Nalani which is in like southern Cape Town and yeah and we did a drama festival and I'm not a director that's one similarity that we do not have but I that I absolutely I, I thought, loved I, I was just because I thought we were the same person then I think <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah but I guess like you know like you say there is that lure to do West End but also with communities you get to work with people who probably have never done drama before and you get to really see these people come out of their shells and actually be on stage and maybe also inspiring them to continue doing drama. For you, when you were doing the dramaturgy course and then thinking about doing directing, was it always directing for theatre that you wanted to do or was there any, you know, TV or film that you wanted to go into? I've directed a couple of films and there's, I haven't directed any TV, but there was something about theatre, the liveness of it for me, that yeah. that beast of being in a room with, with a group of people experiencing the same thing. For me, you can't get anything that's the same as that. And I think there's there's something very liberating and exciting about that. And you, these past two years that we've gone through, you know, being locked down and, and people not being able to go to the theatres, we've got a spy not experiencing it. People went, oh, this is the thing that I need to go back to. Humans need that connection. And yes, there's something interesting about watching a film in a cinema with a group of people, but the idea that there are living human beings breathing in front of you while telling you that story has something, I think, really really innately human about it that I think that for me is really exciting. Yeah and obviously with Human Nurture as well which we'll come on to now it is currently on its UK tour and it's going around different cities so there must be loads of different reactions to to the play itself. We'll talk about that in a later question but what I first want to know is how did you get involved with Human Nurture and where did that process start for you? So I'm artistic director of, it sounds very grand so that's when I always say that, artistic director it's, it comes with such ridiculous grandeur but I've <laughs> been with Theatre Centre um, just before the pandemic. Theatre Centre has been around for a lot longer than I have so it's uh, we're coming up to our 70th 
birthday uh, as a company and the company we make work with and for young people and when I came on board with the onto the company we had a a number of writers that we work with that were under sort of seed commission and Ryan Callie Cameron was one of those writers and he'd got an idea for a show that we were I was talking to him about when we were in lockdown and when George Floyd was murdered and there were Black Lives Matter protests and all like when the world shifted on its axis he came to me with a, a very simple provocative question which is are people born racist and if they're not born born racist then what happens and you go okay right but I mean that is exactly the question we need to be asking now so we got that in front of young people and the way that we work at theatre centre is that I don't as the sort of person creatively leading the organisation don't just sort of pluck these ideas out of my head we're really clear that we work with young people so we spoke to loads of young people in over zoom across the country and we're sort of asking questions about what are the ingredients of belonging what would it take to break a friendship where's the line and it's some really fascinating brilliant questions and answers that we got from from young people so ryan was in a position of really radically listening to what young people were talking about and then overlaying his idea of a, of a show and yeah. the first draft of human nurture sort of came up and then we read that to young people and then they fed it back fed back to us and then we went through the same process and then we took it up to a school in a couple of schools in sheffield read it to them and then they fed back and then and by the time we got to the rehearsal room we knew that we had a show that was had been rigorously sort of created by an amazing writer. I mean, Ryan Kelly yeah. Cameron is just about to launch a massive show at the Royal Court, which was just at a new diorama and has just yeah. had Queen of Sheba out that was at Soho. He's, a, he's an amazing, brilliant writer that if your listeners haven't heard of him, then they need to go and sort of read his work because it's yeah. it's really it's something really poetic, passionate, and it, it punches, uh, which I really, really yeah. love. It was a show created by a brilliant writer, but had gone through the process of working with young people. So that I knew that, when this was put in front of young people across the country, it was going to resonate in a way that if it had just been Ryan and I making a show, thinking, oh, assuming that this is what young people are going to like, then we would have missed the mark. My brain tells me I'm young. My body absolutely tells me I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> and is, so, and is, that, is, is that your target audience then for, for, young, for younger audiences to come and see this production? Is that kind of what you're catering towards? And are you inviting or is the company inviting schools to come and watch the production whilst it's on in their hometowns? So our main focus is young people, but we open that to a general audience who are interested in it's just another story it just so happens that two 17 year olds are talking about it yeah. um and so it it, it gives a, it gives an insight into conversations that young people are having now and it's just another show so i think there's always this conception that when you go oh theater for young audiences there's yeah. this sort of quite patronizing or people like dilute it and that's not the case at all no. so and and, it, and we demonstrate that in the way that we're touring so we turn up we've got it's a nine-week tour We've co-produced with Sheffield Theatres and every week we turn up in a new city. Uh, So we're we're currently um, in Manchester uh, this week. And for the first half of the week, we tour the show directly into schools, into their school hall, year nine and tens, sit and watch it. So this morning there was 120 year tens sat in their canteen watching this show with the same set, with the same everything except lighting. And then in the latter half of the week, it's going to be at the Lowry in their studio space with yeah. on sale to general audiences for um, people to come and see. And for me, that is exactly the type of show that we should be making that is yeah. has a resonance for the adults in those young people's lives. Plus us. I, I was in a school about three weeks ago, just outside of Sheffield, and the drama teacher said to me that this is likely to be the only live piece of theatre that these young people may ever see in their life. Because... Yeah. 
the idea of going into a theatre is not something that is open to them for lots of reasons, financially or like just even their social mobility. So for us to be able to get a set into the back of a van, those actors turn up to their school and then perform it in their school hall yeah. uh, to 120 people, like for me is just is a phenomenal privilege thing to do. Yeah, and I remember being at school um, and, you know, having these productions in and usually there'd be like a QA and a or whatever with the cast or creative. Is there that sort of stuff with this tour as well? And if there is, like, what kind of reactions have you been getting? Has it been quite similar throughout the whole of the UK that you've toured to at the moment? Or is there any, you know, audience reactions or reactions from the schools that has really stood out to you so far? So there's two things that you've just said, though, which is quite interesting. I know, yeah. like I experienced, I'm sure that your listeners as well experienced that that show that came into school and you sort of sat there going oh god this is awful like <laughs> young people and audiences like that for me are the best critics they will tell you very quickly whether they like it or not i am really clear that the work that we make at theater center are not those shows that you remember coming into school yeah yeah um, <laughs> that, that sort of are didactic tell you what like what you should and shouldn't do are yeah. these weird adults like playing terrible it's none of that it's just an, it's just another show that we've taken into a school yeah yeah so for me the show is quite hard hitting the first 20 minutes is quite there's, there's a lot of laughter there's, there's live music it's quite funny and then halfway through it, it sort of pivots into this really quite complicated nuanced conversation about race and class mm-hmm. that we know that young people are having all want to have but don't know how to between these two friends who grew up in care together they call each other the brothers and it just so happens one is white and one is black. And there is this really complicated conversation where they love each other, but they just don't know how to listen to each other. Yeah. And what's brilliant when I've sat in schools across the country while the show's on is that there's this brilliant where young people start laughing and being with those characters and then it shifts. And then there is this moment where you can hear a pin drop. And if you hear a pin drop in a school hall with 120 year 10s, yeah. for me, I feel like my job is done. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. If I've been... <laughs> So I think that, yeah, it's, it's brilliant. And it, what's interesting is that we've been touring, there's been lots of schools where there's predominantly white students and there is, there is a minority of like global majority students in, in the school. Mm. And there's been some real, the feedback we're getting is some real paradigm shifting moments where young people are going, oh, this is the best way I've ever heard anyone talk about white privilege before, really mm. understanding what like what that means there is a balance isn't there to make it when you're making a show about entertainment and education we want it to be useful so it's sort of an organizing question we have in the in, in our organization which is like how can we be useful and for me the show is useful because it helps students teachers parents start to have this conversation it doesn't answer anything for it like hey this show is not solving racism right uh, sorry and all that like there's no we, Ryan Ryan hasn't solved racism no. but what he has done is put a really complicated complex nuanced conversation on stage between two friends who love each other that actually it just turns out to be a tragedy it, tra- it turns out that they can't they're, they're trying to solve it and, it and it doesn't quite work yeah and when you have these themes of race and class and care system and you're going into rehearsals to to actually put on this production how do you go into that within a rehearsal space knowing how deep the show will actually get and you know how do you make the rehearsal space as safe and as open as possible really good question i think my job as a director is to create the optimum space for all those brilliant creatives to do their best work yeah. if I'm not doing that then it feels ridiculous like I'm paying people to be in that room to sort of like show me their best craft 
And if yeah. I am either inadvertently or creating a space that doesn't allow them to do that, then I'm just not doing my job, I don't think. So we've got a very clear, we ensure that the creative team and the actors and everyone in that room is representative of the play that we're creating. Like, yeah. where's the connection? Like, everyone needs to be connected to that play in a particular way so that they're bringing something and adding something to that situation. So we were really clear about the representation across the whole of the of the creative team. The second thing that we do is that I have a, a set of principles of working, which is a, a set of four principles which help us create a space that's not just safe. Because I think the word safe space has become sort of like a non-word now. No one really yeah. knows what that means because people use it. Oh, it's a safe space. I talk about brave space because bravery for me is about it, it enable for people to be brave. They need like tools and we make sure that we're checking in near enough every day about whether they're useful to us. And if they're not useful, then it means that we can throw them out so and, and or adapt them. So those principles of working are about openness, the idea that we have one perspective on the world, which is ours, based on what we see and what we hear and based on the way that we've grown up and the journey that we've taken. So just because we see things or hear things in one way doesn't mean that everyone else does. Yeah. So it's always about checking in with that and also making sure that like assumptions can be the killer of a room. So uh, either you're acknowledging that it's an assumption, I'm assuming that, or that you don't generalize. So it's, it's like it's always been in my experience. The second is um, radical kindness. It used to just be kindness, but kindness I found to be quite transactional. Oh, you look nice today. Oh, yeah, you look nice as well. <laughs> it's yeah. like that's not radical. <laughs> like that. yeah. Radical kindness is the fact that you and I could, could fundamentally disagree on something mm -hmm. fundamentally morally could disagree on something but unlike twitter i could uh, still be kind to you and yes. listen to what your opinion is you know what i experience it, uh, of social media is that it gives people like listening isn't a thing that happens is that it's all about shouting or telling and i think in a rehearsal room the most radical thing that you could do the radically kind thing that you could do is listen and, I, and, and listening isn't necessarily just about what is someone saying, but it's also about how are people feeling or what are they doing? And that as a company, how can we listen to each other better? How can we radically be kind to each other? And that may, might mean going, look, we're, we're only going to do three hours today because everyone's exhausted. Or we are going to make sure that we check in at the beginning of the day. And if someone says, look, I'm absolutely knackered, then we can just adapt things. We need to fundamentally shift the way that we're rehearsing to, yeah. to, to make sure things happen. The third is presentness. So that's what checking in and checking out is about. It's like, how is it that we just go, just take a moment of going, am I my best today or not? And then if we can share that, then it just means that you sort of can then know how you're engaging with the work, acknowledge it. And the last is boldness, which is where I was talking about a brave space. It's the idea of if all those three things around openness, radical kindness and presentness are in place, then it gives you the opportunity to be bold in, in your thinking, in your doing, in your ability to ask a question. And I'd rather, I'd always say, if you're thinking, why is no one asking the question? then the likelihood of someone else is thinking that and that then therefore we should be asking the question. Yeah. And if people aren't able to ask that question, then I fundamentally failed at creating a space that enables those difficult questions to be asked. What I always say is, hey, we're not brain surgeons. So yeah. like one, one wrong move isn't going to fundamentally damage anyone in the room. 
yeah because uh, we're in we're you know hopefully so it's being bold in in the work that we do and the things that we say i think are, are, are fundamentally important and it, you know that also has to mean that i have to direct in a particular way my directing style isn't i've got this idea in my head and then i've got to yeah. then i'm you've got to work out what's in my head and i'll tell you how close you are to it <laughs> yeah I, i'm genuinely about co-creation like what mm. do people offer in that room and then my job is to edit and it would be the most useful to tell the best story. For some directors, that that whole monologue that I've just given you might not work. But again, very long answer to a very simple question, Elliot. I hope that answered your question. No, no, it does. And actually, I think it's only really been since the pandemic where I've been involved in productions that have done probably probably a little bit of that radical listing that you were talking about with the check-ins and check-outs. I mean, you know, it's mainly been from like intimacy check-ins and check-outs and making sure that everyone's feeling safe in that room. But also, um, I was working on a show last week in Penge West, and we did check-ins and check-outs as we entered the room and as we left at the end of a performance, and we kind of did like mini check-out debriefs. And even though we didn't necessarily radically change anything about, you know, because we were in the performance week of the show, uh, we didn't radically change anything, but it's really nice to actually give everybody the voice to say how they were feeling and people were really honest so you know if someone was exhausted they were saying that you know they were exhausted and you know we just took a little bit more time to do our warm-ups you know vocal and physical and really I've only actually seen that happen since the pandemic and I'm not sure whether or not that's a good thing or a bad thing or whether or not that's just something because we've learned about burnout since coming back from the two years off that we've had where you know we now have to really cater towards everybody because we don't know whose first project it is after lockdown you know whose fifth project it is who keeps working because they're trying to stay afloat after the pandemic i've really learned a lot about check-ins and checkouts and hopefully we'll you know continue to do those or introduce those to groups following on from you know the projects that i'm doing at the moment i think it's really important that we do that especially for our mental health as well i completely agree i think i think it's i think it's deep sort of deeper than that because i think it's like the we know that this industry, this sector is a little bit broken. You know, the pandemic really highlighted a lot of those things, which a lot of people knew, but just didn't know how to articulate or didn't have the space to do those things. You know, talking about check-ins and feelings and all those things, I can understand that some people will slightly bulk at it and go, oh God, it's all very lefty and it's very snowflakey and it's very fundamentally for me it it is about the ability to see and hear someone I think is a radical act and I think that for me interestingly people sort of segment it by going oh when when you're working with young people communities then of course you've got to do that like but there's no difference because everyone's just a human being right we've all got feelings we've all got frustrations we've all got bad days we're all going to have good days we're all gonna want to help it makes no sense to me that if I'm in a room with people especially someone who's named as director the important thing for me is to ensure that everyone can do their best work because if they're not doing their best work then the show's not going to be great I think it's more than burnout I think it's it's about enabling people to sort of step into a space that they might not have done before and feel liberated by that rather than suppressed by it yeah and for you rob what kind of advice would you have i guess you know like you say you're working with communities you're working with young people all the time and you know first steps probably into them being in this industry and stuff or stepping on stage in any format what advice would you have for younger creatives and this could be just somebody who wants to step foot into the performing arts industry you know having not done it before or as a director what advice would you have for younger creatives? A great piece of advice I was given 
a long time ago and I still haven't quite so solved it with myself, but is that um, you've got two ears and one mouth and that is the ratio that you should be using them in. Uh, so you should listen double the amount of time you're talking now, as you can tell by the amount of time I've been talking within this. <laughs> That's not necessarily have, and I find that quite difficult, but the idea of listening, I think is really important. I got, I got slightly seduced by the glitz and glam of what I think, what I thought theatre was. Yeah. And there is a big, the industry is sort of lined up that the West End is sort of this amazing place, which yeah. in some ways it really is, but you've got to really listen to your sort of heart and your gut about the type of work that you want to make and the audiences that you want to connect with. Yeah. And for me, I am nourished and love the job that I do now because I know that I'm making work that connects in a way that I know wouldn't if an audience stay in a very large national building on the South Bank, for example. And I think that it's really important. The arts, theatre especially, sort of is like it's, it's got a civic duty, I think. For me, it's a, it feels like it's this thing that only the few get to experience. I think that's a load of rubbish. Like really think about the type of work that you want to make who is it that you want to work, work with and just because there's a perceived formula to make the work doesn't mean that's the only way yeah we're creatives we could we can reimagine the world like reimagine it i i have been in rooms with other directors and i was a bit like oh i've been told this is what i've got to do to go and i've got to go and assist to learn the trade and i sort of went i went and started working with one director and i was like i just don't think i can do this because it feels like there's this old school cis white straight men who were mm. sort of you know this is the thing and I was like oh god I don't think that is the thing so I slightly rebelled against it and maybe that's dummy favors or not but essentially I, I found my way with it and made work in a way that I wanted to make it and I would encourage people to do that there isn't one way there'll be a lot of people that tell you that there's one way because they want to protect the way that we think it's meant to be made but anyway I'm, I'm rambling Elliot Stop no, it. no, no. But no, I think it's no, <laughs> no, but no, but it has been really important. And it's a really important talk that we've had today, I think, regarding, you know, this, this open space that you can have and the brave space, going back to that, you know, stepping into a space that you may feel uncomfortable with, but, but um, encouraging people to be open with that. Rob, we're going to move on to our final question now, um, and it is the title of this podcast, and that is the stagey place. And what I love to know with all of my guests is where your stagey place is. Everybody has had a different stagey place. I don't think we've had two of the same. And it's because everybody just has such a wide range of areas which they go to whenever they think of their stagey place. So it's a venue, it's a it's a school hall, it's a, you know, it's a school classroom, it's it's the dressing room of their favourite theatre where they made these moments where they connected with casts. For you as a director, whereabouts would your stagey place be? Wouldn't it be really disappointing if I said the National Theatre now? I, I'm not going to. <laughs> For me, it's not in a venue at all. It's, yeah. It absolutely could be in a school hall. And I think the school hall is probably like one of those spaces. But a very specific place for me, which sort of is the same as a school hall, but was in a in the middle of an estate in Hackney on a grass in a communal garden and with three high rises around it. Yeah. And we made a show in the garden of those high rises. And all that those residents needed to do was to go to their windows and watch oh, to become wow. audience members. Yeah. And for me, that that's the transaction that I would like theatre to be. It, like those young people yeah. in schools where they're just going to another lesson. And it just so happens that this theatre company has arrived. And for me, any theatre can tra literally transform space. And yeah. um, we, don't, we don't need to go into the confines of a, a building that suggests that that's 
the place where we need to go and view a piece of storytelling. Yeah. Story is, is everywhere. And I'm interested in where those stories can happen, whether you're sort of least expecting it. And the, the audience sort of sit there and even if it's for five minutes, they forget that they're watching in their living room, watching down in the garden or in their school hall, watching a piece of theatre, that yeah. they've been taken somewhere else, that, they, that mm -hmm. they've been moved in a particular way, that we don't have to go and sit in some velvet seats to, to experience like transformational, beautiful storytelling. Yeah, that's an absolute wonderful space, actually. And it's somewhere that you just like would never expect to even see something pop up. Was that, was that, I, I just want to quickly talk about that project. Was that a show that you toured also, or was that just like you just dumped here and there or what? I like the word dumped. Yeah, we dumped. Yeah, we yeah, dumped not dumped. Like... Not dumped. <laughs> 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 We we uh, curated it with uh, we created yeah. it with um, a, 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 a community in Hackney and we were going to do it in a uh, community centre and I and I it was in the height of summer and I just thought actually it would be really beautiful wouldn't it if we put this outside and one of the things we were worried about is about audience like if if people haven't been to the theatre before it can be quite a scary thing so let's take the theatre to them and let's put it into a place that, that all they need to do is look out their windows and that's what they did and it was just this most epic beautiful thing that they were able to experience a piece of theatre that was literally on their doorstep and it was for them no one else experienced it once it was yeah. done that's it finished it's over and done with it's gone and then it became sort of a a myth almost that yeah were you there when that's sh that show turned up and it's then yeah. disappeared that's that, that's incredible and what a way to finish this episode as well Rob, thank you so much for coming on to this stage of place, for talking about human nurture, for talking about how you got into this industry, how you create rehearsal room to make it the most open and most brave space for everybody involved, how you like to make sure that everybody involved in the production is connected some way to every show that you do, and for also talking about your inspirations and your advice for younger creators, plus where your stage your place is. Rob, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me on. I, uh, it's been an absolute pleasure, thank you. And there we go, that was episode 41 of The Stage Place with today's guest, director Rob Watt. I'd love to thank Rob so much for coming on to The Stage Place to actually talk with me about Human Nurture, which sounds like an incredible play and one which I'm actually seeing this week at the Soho Theatre. So I'm very excited to come and watch the production. I hope you, as the listener, also enjoyed listening to today's episode. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at The Stage Place for more news and exclusive guest reveals coming up over the next couple of weeks. So until the next time that you hear my voice on episode 42, I hope you have a lovely week and you're staying stagey. <laughs>